Let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 15. I never thought I would preach on Romans 15 uh, during the season of Advent, but I have found this week, I don't think I'd want to preach on anything else. Uh, this is good stuff. So give me a moment to find my way there. Um, and if you have print or digital Bibles, it will be Romans 15, and we're going to go to verse 4, and from 4 to 10, okay? And I lied about that, 4 to 13, okay, verse 4 to 13, all right. So if you're not super familiar with the book of Romans, uh, there's a guy named Paul. He's pastoring and uh, helping shepherd a bunch of churches around. One of those communities is in uh, the city of Rome. He has yet to be there. He has never visited these people, but he has been kind of their spiritual leader and overseeing the congregation. He's writing to them. They have been, now listen, you can't make this stuff up, all right? This was, if you know anything about church history, the lectionary or what churches preach on the Advent season, just to simplify it, uh, that was set some hundreds, I mean, Dennis, do you know, Christy, Jared, you know, it's like hundreds and hundreds of years ago that the lectionary was set. So you can't make this up. Here is the issue that Paul is addressing, okay? I'm going to take your attention back to chapter 14, uh, verse 1. Here is the issue. So everything that we read in chapter 15, we'll be looking back to correcting the issue that he's touching on, which is in chapter 14. I didn't choose this, okay? I didn't, the church chose it for us some hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Except other believers who are weak in faith. And don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. <laughs> Except other believers who are weak in faith. And don't argue with them about what they think is right and wrong. When was the last time you guys went to Facebook and just searched up issues facing the church? You should do that and see how fast your hair turns gray. Accept other believers who are weak and don't argue. <laughs> we didn't listen. Don't argue with them about what they think is right and wrong. So everything else that Paul is going to talk about in chapter 15, the issue is he has a divided congregation. Well, you can't make this stuff up, Christy. I didn't choose this. It chose us. There was a guy back hundreds of years ago that pastored a divided community. I'm not saying we're divided. I'm saying Rome was divided. I think that we understand divided communities, whether it is New Beginnings Church or whether it is uh, our neighborhood or our city or our state or our country. I think more than ever, we understand what it means to be divided from one another. We get that. We feel that. We're really insecure about it because we don't, it doesn't feel good, does it? None of us want to be divided, do we? That's not something that we say, oh, I'm so glad that I'm living in a divided community. I woke up today just because we all, I'm not talking about it, I'm just addressing it. We all understand that our country is going through a trial of impeachment, all right? It could be the dumbest thing or the greatest thing. I have no opinion on that this morning, but it's happening. It is a real thing in the news. And I woke up this morning and I read the results 
of a divided country? What happens in it? What happens about the, just the nastiness that comes out in any impeachment trial? And I thought, man, none of us are choosing this culture or this lifestyle. This is not something that we want. But inevitably, there's a side that is right, and there is another side that is right, and that's where you get into conflict, right? Because one side is absolutely 100% right, and the other side is absolutely 100% right. And then they try to talk to each other, and they can't speak to each other because they're both right. And so what ends up happening is argument, disagreement, division. There's no sense of listening or receiving or hearing or understanding. It's just who's going to break first. How can I get you to agree with me? Or how can you to get me to agree with you? Well, this same thing, not on, not on impeachment, but other things going on in Rome, these same things were dividing a community against one another, and these were more religious things. Now, we have those examples as well, but I have made a promise to Dana Schof that I'm not going to list what I would like to list right now. But we have examples, okay? We have examples in the modern-day church, and you can think of what those are, that divide us against one another because one side of the church is saying this should be spiritually accepted, and then there's another group in the church that says, no, this should be spiritually accepted. And the problem is we're both right. We're both 100% right. This side of the church is, man, this is exactly how it should be, and there should be no compromise. And this side of the church, this is exactly how it should be, and there should be no compromise. And then we show up on Sunday and try to worship together. Yeah, good luck with that. That's difficult. That's extremely hard to do. Now, let's just let's not be too awkward about it. Let's not talk about church because we're sitting there right now, and then we're going to start trying to figure out if, you know, the people over there are on my side or if they're not. Let's not worry about that. Let's talk about Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> right? You show up, and you've got family in there. And let me just say it how it is, right? You show up, and your uncle is dead wrong, yet he won't shut his mouth. And, you're <laughs> and, you're, and it might not be your uncle. It might be your aunt. It might not be your aunt. It might be your grandpa. It might be your dad. Heck, it might be you, but probably not. Certainly not you. It's them. It's them. And they're wrong, but they think they're 100% right. But what they don't know is what you know, and you're 100% right, and they ought to know what you know. And so you sit there. And it's like these dividing lines get drawn right across the Thanksgiving table. This happens, and it's not just you. So don't think I am picking on you. It's us. It's us. I was picking those fights. I, think I, I like to think that I've grown to be a little bit smart, and I don't bring politics or issues in the church up at the Thanksgiving table. But I used to. Heck, yeah, when I was in college, and I was never wrong. Heck yeah, baby. I came home and it was time to hear the state of Jake. <laughs> it never went well. And of course, I didn't think I was that family member. I thought they were those family members and I was right. Okay, well, all of that to say, setting this up. So Paul is addressing a community and he's telling them first off and for, first, 
Hey, do not argue about which one of you is right. Don't. Let it go. And then he begins to introduce the subject of what Jesus has done through his entrance into the world. Now, if you don't know anything about the Christmas season, it is more than Santa Claus. Christmas season is the entrance of God into the world. And Advent is more than just waiting. It's also the declaration that God has entered the world. Advent is another way to say that the storm front is forming on the horizon of the sun-caked desert, and it is moving in. And what has been baked and dried and barren and deserted will receive its rain. This is another way to talk about Advent. And Paul is addressing a community that has been sun-caked and baked with division. What they're arguing about, we think, is silly. They're arguing about if they can eat bacon or not. That's dumb. Should we eat bacon? Of course. <laughs> of course, I'm so glad we're over that argument. And in a thousand years, there will be some idiot pastor with elbow pads preaching, and they'll be talking about the dumb things we argued about here. Well, the dumb things they argued about there was bacon? Seriously? That was enough to divide the church? Bacon? Yes, I can decide that for you, Paul. You should eat bacon. Bless it in the name of Jesus and move on. That's what, they're, that's what they're divided on. Why is that such a huge issue? Well, because there were, again, thousands of years of tradition built into the custom of what it meant to be a believer, to be a God-fearer, to be a follower of the Lord. And what you ate was a part of that. And all of a sudden, there are these people that were now being welcomed into the community that lived a different way than hundreds and hundreds and a couple thousand years of tradition. Well, friends, that's hard. That's hard, whether you're living in the year 55, 54, whenever this was written, or if you're living in the year of 2019. When new people start caving in, coming in, with new ideas and new ways of doing things and new ways of loving people and new ways of including others. Hey, that can be really hard because that flies in the face for some of us of everything that we were ever raised to believe in, right? And I'm not here trying to declare one way or the other. I want you to hear that. I'm trying to acknowledge that this is never as simple as, well, you should just think different. Or, well, I shouldn't just think that way, right? So for the millennials, they should just stop thinking that way. Just shut that way of thinking off as if they can do that. They can't do that. And also, millennials, those that have gone before us with their wisdom, they come from a little bit different of a culture, and they're not just going to change the way they think because you have a really good idea about inclusion. There's going to have to be a different conversation that takes place then you agree with me. I will not agree with you. No, no, no. You agree with me, or I will kick you out. <laughs> it didn't work for Rome. 
And I don't think it's working for our culture very well at all. And I want just to say it the last time. I don't have an opinion. That's not my role. My role is to introduce the third way. So in a culture in which we can only imagine two options, either I compromise or I convert, okay? I either convert you to think like me or I compromise and I think like you. Those are the two options that we give each other. Go read Facebook. It's the two options that are there, all right? Go read the news. Whichever side of the news, whether you read Republican news or Democratic news, you're going to get the same two options. You're either going to be uh, urged to believe the source that you're reading, or you're going to feel guilty about converting to another, compromising to another side. So what is the preacher's job? What is the church's job in a world that only gives ourselves two options? Because independent isn't really an option, is it? So you got to be one or the other. You have to be. That's the culture that we live in. I have nothing to say about that other than the church is neither. So what option do we present? We're neither the left nor the right. Paul is very clear. We should not, we should not be picking up the conversation about right and wrong. So what does Paul suggest then? Paul talks about the entrance of Jesus as if it was a storm front moving in over the desert. And I'm thinking today, what would it be like, church, for us to be like the storm front that moves in over the desert? Instead of us being those that are thrashing and dying in the desert. Oh, poor, pitiful us, how awful we have it. We live in such a horrible time. Oh, it really sucks to be alive in 2019 because no one will listen to me or whatever we say. What if we begin to think of ourselves as a wholly different part of God's creation, of a storm front that moves in and disrupts the culture with much-needed rain? Can you Think about that for a minute. You know I believe in you. Oh, I don't think you'll change the world. I'm just being honest. But I do believe you can change Chipman Commons. That I do believe in. Could you change the world? Yes, you can do anything you want, okay? But I think what's really tangible, what's really out in front of you, what, what could begin to have effect tomorrow is the way that you manage Chipman Commons. Now begin to imagine yourself, not as landlords, not as landlords that decide how much Dr. Corson's office pays in their rent, okay? Don't think of yourself like that. Think of yourself as a stormfront that moves in over a once dilapidated building and brings with it the much-needed rain of grace and redemption, offering all of yourselves to the partners of Chipman Commons. Now, what could you do with the revenue of Chipman Commons? 
What could you do with the relationships of Chipman Commons if you're new here, new beginnings, stewards, the whole property, both buildings, all 28,000 square feet? It is you. Don't think of yourselves as landlords. I don't think you have to decide tomorrow if you're going to serve people of certain sexual orientation or not. You don't have to decide that. You don't have to decide if you're going to be on the right side or the other side. Instead, and I'm going to get to preaching here in just a second. I'm only setting it up. What if you just trusted that God had something wholly new for you and it had neither to do with compromise or converting another? Perhaps it is not your role to convert. Maybe that's the role of something so mysterious that we just call it the Holy Spirit. Will God convert God's people? Yes, it's his promise. He will do that. Take the pressure off, friends. You don't have to rush out of here and make sure anyone that comes from a different religious background all of a sudden starts looking just like you. The Holy Spirit has done that for thousands of years and will continue to do that even in a highly scientific culture where religion now makes less and less sense to everyone. Does that mean that the Holy Spirit stops just because the culture rejects religious institutionalism? Absolutely not. Take the pressure off. It doesn't rest on you. God is big enough. Also, the social issues that matter so much to you make you beautiful. They make you beautiful. And I'm talking about both sides, three sides, four sides, however many sides of social issues there are. Thank you for caring so much, but they do not define God. They don't. Do I have social issues? Yeah, I do. It's not my place to talk about them here. But in three weeks, when I'm no longer your pastor, if you desperately want to know where I stand on stuff, I get my opinion back in three weeks. And I'd be, I'd be happy to let you know. I'll be that guy. I'll come to Thanksgiving dinner. It makes you you. You're passionate about what you believe in. And honestly, some of you, personally, I don't come to the same side of the table as you do, but I've listened to you. And I want to let you know it's legitimate how you feel and where you come from. It's not like you just arrived there because you're wanting to be a mean person. No way. You guys love and you guys care. And these matters, these things matter to you deeply. I'm still saying you might need to release those, just as I might. Even if they were informed over you for decades and decades and decades, and you couldn't possibly imagine another way of believing or thinking, I'm saying that in order to be a third way, kind of storm wave, bringing the rain into your communities, you may need to surrender the fact that God is on neither side of these social issues. So where is God? Because you always say, Jake, that God is everywhere and present and always and with us. So if you're now saying that God is on neither side, then which side is God on? Did the Republicans create the world? Then God was before them. 
Did the Democrats create the world? Did the Democrats speak into the dust and call forth life? Then God was before them too. So on which side is God on his own side? And I suggest this morning that we begin to think about our daily life. You might think I'm on drugs and way out that it's not possible. Oh, but I believe it is because I believe God empowers through the Spirit for us to break in and do something new through the body of Christ that's never been done. I do believe in that, that we can begin to break in and do something wholly new. what would that be? That would be a community of harmony. And it's what's talked about in chapter 15. I want to read this. I got a story. We'll be done. Starting with verse 4 in chapter 15. Such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. May God, who gives us patience and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony with each other. As is fitting of followers of Christ Jesus, then all of you can, together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Therefore, now I have to pause on this, therefore. This is a major point of anything that came before or comes after. Paul uses this phrase more than any other contemporary writer in the New Testament. Therefore is his way of bridging theology with ethics. I don't expect that that means much to many. It's his way of bridging who we are with what we do. Did you catch that? It's bridging. When he uses the word therefore, it's, it's a bridging statement. Who we are, what we do. What makes us us, and what do we do with Monday through Sunday? Who we are, how we behave. So Paul is bridging in this passage. Theology with ethics. Who God is, who we are, because God is that way, and what we do. So who is God? He is patient, and he is encouraging. Who are we? We are people of harmony because God created us in unity and harmony. That's who we are. So what do we do with that? That's the next part. Therefore, there's always a bridge statement. So whenever you're reading Scripture, you come across a therefore, you can bridge it between what, what, was, what was there was who you are, and what is for is what you do. Therefore, accept each other. This is what you do. Accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. Remember that Christ came as a servant to the Jews to show that God is true to the promises he made to their ancestors. So who is God? He's the father that keeps his promise 
How do we know that? It's in the story of scriptures, and it reveals that over and over and over again. So don't use scriptures to prove who's right and wrong. Instead, use scriptures to tell the story of who God is, a promise keeper. God will keep his promise. Don't use the scriptures to further division. Instead, use the scriptures to tell people who God is. He loves you. He fights for you. He accepts you. He loves you. He sees where your thinking is incomplete, and he promises himself to you to show you a whole new way. It's not compromise. God isn't wanting you to compromise because God doesn't stand for compromise. What God wants is full surrender unto himself because he loves you and he will care for you and offer grace and mercy to you over and over and over again. So who is God? He's not a divider. God is a promise keeper. So the first part of what was there was a story that tells us exactly who God is, and it is not to be used to divide us against one another. So I encourage you, please use Scripture in your arguments around your Thanksgiving conversations. But use Scripture as a story. Reminding others of who God is. Not just the verse that supports your argument. Remember that Christ came as a servant to the Jews to show that God is true to the promises he made to their ancestors. He also came so that the Gentiles, these are the people that are on the other side of right, so that the Gentiles might give glory to God for his mercies to them. That is what the psalmist meant when he wrote. And now here is Paul using scripture to tell the story of who God is. If you're, if you're saying this morning, Pastor, I, I, I'm with you, and I do, I do want to use scripture <laughs> to tell the story, but I don't know how to do that. Go to Romans 15 and read this chapter and study the way that Paul does it. This is Paul. He only uses three verses, right? But he's, he's not proof texting them. He's using the three verses that speak to the character of God. And so thus it's not just, oh, there's this one word that says this, and that's why you're wrong. That would be an example of proof texting. Okay. Instead, he's picking out verses that show what God is like. And he's stringing them together. Here they are. Two out of Psalms and one out of Isaiah. For this I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing praises to your name. And in another place in Scripture it's written, Rejoice with his people, you Gentiles. And yet again in the book of Isaiah, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Praise him, all you people of the earth. And in another place Isaiah said, the heir to David's throne will come, and he will rule over the Gentiles. They will place their hope on him. What is Paul doing? He's weaving Scripture to say who God is is what he does. So who is God? He's a God that includes all. What does he do? He comes in the person of Jesus to include all. So then I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. So I want to tell you a story. Um, it's one of my favorite ones, and I don't think I've ever shared this with you. If I have, 
Hang on. I, wanted to, I, I only got three more times to do this. I may say this story three more times. So my dad invites me to do a wedding with him when I was in college, and I was still learning how to uh, officiate and do all of that. And by part of the wedding was all beforehand. He was teaching me how to do the license and, and that sort of thing and kind of how you follow up with the bridal parties beforehand and, and the groom's party, all that stuff. So I did all that, but by the time the wedding happened, I was sitting, you know, like right where you are with everybody else. Now, my dad's an impatient person. I love him. Don't tell him I said that, but he's an impatient person, okay? And I grew up with my dad, obviously, and I know that he's an impatient person. And so when the wedding party took their place, and I know when dad, dad, when dad wants something to go right, he gets really, like, bent out of shape when it doesn't go exactly the way that it should go, okay? So uh, if there's, like, noise in church and stuff, he gets really, he wouldn't do well here, okay? <laughs> uh, he gets really bent out of shape at that. So I began to become really concerned for my dad when the wedding party took their place, all except Chandra. Uh, Matt, the, the groom, was up there, and the, uh, the wedding party was there. And then who, sometimes in some weddings, who comes before the bride? Yeah, the flower girls, yep. There were, there were three of them. Two were like three years old and one was like four-year-old. I think they were like sisters and cousins, something like that. And um, so they, uh, they come down the aisle, and they were singing. They were dancing. They were running around each other. And I'm like, oh, my dad's going to lose his crap. <laughs> and I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like watching his face get red. And like, oh, he's going to pop his collar. It's going to be great. Um, and uh they, 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 get, they, they get up to Matt, and they start telling Matt, oh, Matt, she's coming, she's coming, she's coming, and they start running around him, and I'm like, oh, my dad is going to lose it, and, you know, Matt is getting, and you can tell the poor guy's about to pass out, he's nervous, you know, he's about to see his bride for the first time on his wedding day, and she's standing behind the doors, you can't see, they're opaque doors, you can't see through them, they're, they're shut, but you know she's standing there, and Matt is standing, staring at those doors, and these girls are running around him, and my dad's face is getting red, and I'm like, oh, this is amazing, and then the doors open. And we, we stand, but before we even get a chance to stand, it's like the radiant beauty. This wedding dress, whew, outside my wife's, I'm not sure I've ever saw anything more beautiful. There was just something about the setting. And when those doors flung open, there was Chandra standing there, a, a longtime friend of mine, and, man, she made a wonderful bride. And Matt, I took, you know, do you guys glance at the groom at weddings? Also, the best part, right? Because they're like sweating bullets. <laughs> they're like not breathing, you know. It's great. I, I saw Matt. I thought poor Matt was going down, down for the count. But it's what these girls did that makes this story. So when the doors flung open and there was the bride, these girls freaked out, ran off the stage, ran all the way back to Chandra. They began to circle Chandra, you know, and her dad is holding her steady because she's got this thousand-foot... <laughs> train and they're running over it and running around her and it's getting kind of chaotic and you know what they're saying oh you can't make this up Matt she's here Matt she's here she's here and then they would run up and they would tell him and then they'd run back and circle around they'd run back up and tell him like oh this is it my dad's gonna die <laughs> he didn't because I think we all realized what we were witnesses to that morning See, what Paul's talking about, in the, and the band can come, 
What Paul is talking about here to his community is when God shows up to a culture who has already decided where God can be. Every time when God shows up to a culture who has already decided where God will be, something new breaks in. And so the storm front that brings God's gracious rain and something new out of something sun-baked and dried appears for the first time in a manger. Who God was was being married to who God will be, and it intersected in a little baby in a manger that had the same effect as rain over a desert, that had the same effect as a bride showing up for the first time in a husband's life. It was an entrance of grand proportions. And this little baby in the manger, what he represented was a whole new way of God's life and reign in the world. He was going to marry in his body everything God was, every story God was to every way that God is. Jesus is the great therefore. He is the story of God, and he is the behavior of God. Now, I will require you to use a little bit of your own biblical knowledge here. Can you remember what it is that Jesus does? If you honestly can't, I would love to meet with you after this. It's favorite thing I do as a pastor is get to tell the story of Jesus. If you honestly don't know some of the things that Jesus does, please, don't feel embarrassed. It's okay. I'll just tell you the whole story is kind of weird, but I would love to tell it to you. Just prepare yourself. But if this morning, and I have a feeling most of us are here, I'm not going to ask you to say it out loud. Just think of it. What does Jesus do? Everything that Jesus does is everything God is. Okay? Who God was and what God does is married in the person of Jesus. So think of that story. Whatever story it is that you're thinking of, that is what God is like. That is what God will always be like. That's what God will always do. Now, you might not know much about the socio-historical context of that time, but everything that Jesus does is right down the middle. Chrissy, am I right in that? Everything that Jesus does is right down the middle. He never takes the extreme side of any aisle. What is Jesus doing? Something new something brand new that completes God's promise. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Oh, I will love you in the waters of the flood. I will redeem you in the heat of the fire. I will pick you out. This is God's promise to you. And so what is Jesus doing when he shows up in a manger? He's marrying exactly the promise of God with the behavior of God. He comes to the least of these. He comes to the marginalized. He comes to the poor and to the broken, and he takes both the extreme left and the extreme right, and he marries, him, marries them into himself with a third way, which is love and redemption and reconciliation of all the brokenness in the world. So what do I imagine for Chipman Commons? Allow me to be a pastor for three more weeks. What do I imagine for you? 
I really believe even how difficult it is that we can be defined not by the political statements that we make, not by the stances that we take within our own denomination. I think that we can be defined as people that marry themselves to Christ and produce a whole new third way that has the same effect as rain over a dust cake desert. I believe in you. I believe that the Holy Spirit is at work in you. I don't care what we look like now opposed to what we look like two years ago, I'm telling you, God is in you. Regardless of who your pastor is, God has decided he's going to do something brand new through you in this place. And I think that you can begin to look a lot like the rain that moves in over a culture that has been divided and deserted. Well, what would you look like? Let's say you are that. What would you look like? think you would look like the great therefore. The story of who God was, never leave you, never forsake you. He will fulfill the promises. He will be with you in the fire. He will redeem you out of the flood. You will join yourself with those in the fire and you will run to those that are in the flood and you will rescue those and you will live your life amongst them and you will begin to heal the division. What will you look like? You'll look just like Jesus. The great therefore. Father, we thank you, Lord, and we give you praise. And as we sing this response song, God, we just want to praise you, welcome your presence here. Oh, man, Lord, I can't imagine a more difficult time uh, in the context of living. I'm sure there has been, but I personally can't imagine it. But, God, I haven't lost hope. I have not lost hope. Why? Because you have come and you have revealed yourself and you will come again bridging all of your promises, with all of our behavior, Father, you will make right what we have somehow made wrong. God, you will redeem and you will do so in love. So I just invite your presence here as we worship you, as we praise you. In your name we pray, amen.